Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Library Coven, a bi-weekly podcast in which two bookish besties discuss mostly YA fantasy through the lens of intersectional feminist criticism. Why? Because talking about books is pretty magical. I'm Jesse, And I'm Kelly. And this week we're discussing Bitter by Akweke Imezi, the prequel to Pet. In Bitter, we follow our main character, Bitter, who is the mother of Jam and Pet. And as she learns about the various ways to be part of social movements, fall in love, and tries to help save the city of Lucille. Um, chaos obviously ensues. <laughs> it does indeed. <laughs> Initial reactions. I listened to the audiobook, which is narrated by Bonhi Turpin for the Sybil's Award Committee. I was disappointed that they didn't make the shortlist because I loved this book so much. And it was on my shortlist, but like, you know, voting with lots of other people. There was so much in this book about the way that young people can enact change. And I really enjoyed getting to know more about Bitter's past. And I think it really speaks to some of what we see about her in, in Pet. So, yeah, I loved it. What did you think? Oh my, just Bonnie Turpin. Yes. Deserves like, like give her like um $7 million. I don't know. Just like <laughs> the accent's so good. The resonance, the timbre in her voice, just like so good. And one of my fave never narrators for sure. I believe she did the um, Tomietti and these books. Oh, okay. But I also listened to the audiobook, and yeah, I'm just kind of like, I'm here this morning. I knew we were going to, I finished it last night and knew we were going to talk in this morning. And I'm just like kind of in awe of the book, <laughs> what they were able to do with it, like actually grapple with the materiality of revolution outright, just like amazing. And then to do it in such like a beautiful and accessible way for young people, especially like outstanding, magnificent, cannot say enough good things. Just go read the book. This won the Sybil's award in my, in my mind, even though I'm not related <laughs> to it whatsoever. <laughs> recommend if you like um i would put the weight of blood by tiffany d jackson which will maybe have been reviewed on instagram by the time this comes out um <laughs> which i also read for the civil's award that book dealt a lot with racial issues that i really enjoyed and it's kind of like horror thriller adjacent but i think there's a lot of that book that can speak to our current times and similar with Children of Blood and Bone by Tomi Adeyemi, which you mentioned Bonnie Turpin <laughs> narrated. Um, I think like these books speak a lot to like, you know, revolution, social change, social justice issues. And the hate you give, you said, right? Oh, yeah. And the hate you give. <laughs> we me skipping around. Same. Yeah. The hate you give by Angie Thomas. The book is better than the movie. I want to say obviously. But the book is so good. The book is so, <laughs> is so good. good. Yeah. But similar, similar. Um, I also, in a rather obvious move, put Pet by a quick messy. <laughs> um, and I also think, like, if you like revolutionary stories, just like like you said, but, like, I'm thinking, you said Children of Blood and Bone, and I'm also thinking, like, more in the fantasy realm, another big, like, quote-unquote tentpole or whatever is Victoria Aviard's Red Queen series. So, yeah, just a different metaphorical way of dealing with revolution. But, yeah, that's all I'll say. <laughs> Why do we choose this book? So Akweke Amezi is definitely one of the authors we're watching and cheering on from wherever we happen to be drinking coffee and or tea and baking. They're just like a fantastic and really honest writer, which I think is admirable. And we loved Pet and wanted to read Bitter as soon as we saw it was announced. So thus it was put on the lineup. Time to talk about world building and through the wardrobe. 
I feel like I wrote so many notes. <laughs> you really did. I know. I'm just like, yes. I don't know why I remembered all this stuff. Um, but anyways, I think um, if pet is a story of like what the future could look like, um, you know, following social revolutionary change, bitter speaks more to like our current reality. Um, just so much about, you know, violence of, you know, the state by the state enacted on black and brown and other marginalized bodies um you know the unethicalness of billionaires um how we protect people um you know just how we come together to enact change like through these non-hierarchical um groups so i just i really liked having these books back to back together um and you know pet is just i think like very hopeful um so it was interesting to see like how this all started and like where bitter came from and aloe as well so yeah yeah that's what i'll say about that (laughs) yes you just put it so eloquently and did you listen to the acknowledgments at the end of the audiobook i don't think so what's cool is that they included them which was i was surprised about um but yeah it was i agree with what you're saying that pet is like hopeful and a bit more like we're like defamiliarized from that place because it's like oh my gosh the revolution happened what does that even mean yeah (laughs) and you're just like in that that imagination space and then so the reason I bring it up is like in the acknowledgments Akweke Mezi said that this was the hardest book that they've ever written partly because the pandemic and partly because of becoming more disabled over the course of writing it and I I think that like also the content is also just harder to to write like how do you get into the nitty-gritty and actually be like okay so you say eat the rich and so okay (laughs) if if then you know like let's let's extrapolate and see what happens it this feels also very I probably should have put like Octavia Butler in the um read alikes recommend if you like just because it's like yeah really getting into what does it look like when when you're doing revolution and and how it's very everyday and it's not glamorous and there's a lot of conflict and there's a lot of people who disagree about what change should look like and how you should go about making it yeah just like oh my god so good and then to do it all and it was like well paced and Mm -hmm. I cared about all the characters and it was just like incredible so good yes no I agree with that and I and it was and it was good to see a book that like really did get into that nitty-gritty because I do feel like we often see it like from like our current standpoint and like you know we're in like this imagined world that's similar to our own um but it was interesting just to kind of see like um <laughs> hearing dogs instead of cats today. yeah exactly <laughs> sorry team <laughs> um but it was just kind of interesting to see like how how complex the issue is of like trying to enact change and i appreciated that about this book in that way i really like seeing um the group asada in this story i meant to look that up because that name like that word is like familiar to me but i forgot to look it up it's from asada shakur Thank you. Thank you. Mm -hmm. Um, But I kind of saw them as like a Black Panthers-esque kind of group. Like they protest, but they also work with their community to meet their needs. Um, Often the needs that the state often ignores. Um, So it was interesting to see that because I don't feel like, like we just get these like sensationalized um, depictions of what social movements look like. And so it was interesting and I think good to see something um, that was a little more maybe realistic and like down to earth and like what we might see on social media or in the news or that sort of thing. Totally. 
I feel like honestly the book is essentially it's like an accessible lesson about like the black radical tradition and abolition mm-hmm. and yeah black feminism and mm-hmm. just like how they've been putting the revolution into practice forever yeah you know? yeah so good we also see that eucalyptus which is like the name of the school boarding like it's almost like a boarding school i guess which is funny we don't read that many boarding school books you're right anymore <laughs> um they give scholarships post-graduations to give students an opportunity to figure out what they want to do and i really loved this idea because i feel like when you're like you know, graduating from high school, you're trying to figure out what you want to do with your life and you go to college and you just pick a major, but you have like no idea maybe what, you know, you want the trajectory of your life to look like. And I feel like young people are forced to choose so quickly, like what they want to do with their whole life. So I really like this idea of like, um, you know, almost like a gap year or, you know, that, you know, people who often don't have that opportunity to take will have that opportunity. And I thought that was really interesting. Yeah, because they deserve the space time to just like drop Mm -hmm. in and and listen to what they need to be doing, you know, out in the world. Totally. I just, yeah, the the book didn't shy away from, it was very like, I love how it was just like, yeah, we have these resources and we put it towards the people who need them. Like full stop, period. We don't, no discussion. Yeah, it was beautiful. Let's discuss all things magic. Similar to Pet, there wasn't a ton of magic in this story. Um, We get to see the monsters created by the artists at Eucalyptus who come to make the world more in line with like their vision of what the world should look like. Uh, But that's like the biggest part of magic in this story. People don't have like magical powers, but the artists can create these like or bring about these like angels mm-hmm. slash monsters into the world through their artwork, which I thought was, I, you know, I liked it in pet as well, but I, it was just um, a little more lined out in the story because, you know, there's so, like yeah. the school is full of artists. Exactly. And then we learn that they're gates. Right. Mm-hmm. And it's just, yeah, like you were saying, and there was one point where it, it, it was one line, something about like eucalyptus is like dripping with divinity or something like that. And I just mm-hmm. like, the just the way of phrasing it and the the whole framing i guess of the the little like queer found artists as gates is just like mm-hmm. yeah queerness as divine and powerful especially you know black queerness and the artistic vision that comes out of that you know lived experience in space and i i thought that like the metaphor hooked up like the magic hooked up super well with like I don't know, just like a a liberatory vision for for queer people and for people of color and black people. The magical part was, I like how it imagined artists having a like core place to play in the revolution. Yeah. Yeah. And like the magic of an art practice, I guess, is Mm -hmm. we see, you know, transformed literally in the book. But yeah, that's just something that I'm kind of thinking about as I do more and more art. And it's just like, oh, yeah, you don't know what's going to come from it. And just tapping into the, yeah, the the creation energy is powerful, but also you have to be like responsible for what you create, which is something we see Mm -hmm. better really struggling with in the book. You know, how much accountability, that's also like a big negotiation, Mm -hmm. which is just another way that Akwekia Mezi is also grappling with abolition in very real ways in the the book also. Now we're going to talk about conflict, villains, and good versus evil, and get me Kylo Ren. 
<laughs> one of my notes i when i when i listen to the audiobooks i'll do like a bookmark and just mm-hmm. like put little notes and one of them says oof quote unquote cleansing <laughs> and it's just like yes anytime cleansing rhetoric comes up you just got to be like if it's not about washing your hands then maybe <laughs> like and your legs wash your legs also wash your legs oh my god <laughs> <laughs> very true very true um yeah then just like be be warned like you should be your hackle should be raised and just be like um what is going on here who gets to decide what purity is and what are the standards like oh my god yeah and in that vein there's like so many people in this book who are villains um i think about the villains who are villains in our real in our world and they're the villains in bitter worlds too so you know billionaires the state police like just they're a villain here they're a villain there too (laughs) exactly and the whole angels monsters potato potato sort of conversation that's going on right that the i I, you know it all comes down to means and ends baby it really does like if you're using people as a means rather than an end in themselves rather than not using them right and just treating them as ends then yeah that's that's very much what this negotiation is about, right? And where where you fall on the line, I guess. Well, and it's interesting because um, Akoike Mezi like depicted the angels as monsters, which I thought was interesting. And so much as like when you you know read the Bible, like the angels look monstrous, um, but they're also not great in this story in the same way. Like Pet, I feel like the monster that came out slash angel was a little more like in line with what we would want of a a saving being or whatever but in this story they're like you know doing some questionable things <laughs> yeah well and i think it's like yeah bitter channeled from this space right and mm-hmm. was that's what she wanted at the time but like maybe that's not actually what she wanted there's another quote at some point in the book that like yeah it was basically like maybe it was after this all this revolution happened and they're kind of getting into like talking about the split you know among mm-hmm. asada and things like that but also coming back together and trying to repair and just about how, like, maybe none of them actually knew what they wanted. Yeah, yeah. You know? And it's hard when you come from, like, a place of anger almost, you know? Like, yeah. maybe your intention was something different when you're angry versus, like, when you're more settled, maybe, you know? And fear. Totally. Like, yeah. Also, right? Like, anytime you're, like, mm-hmm. caught up in that loop, like, that reactivity yeah. loop, you know, it's mm-hmm. hard to make more expansive and, like, decisions that, like, have yeah. are about love and connection, right? Mm-hmm. Which kind of gets to my other point that it seemed like um, Ube, who was one of my favorite characters, just like, oh, my God, prophet, where are you? We need you. <laughs> um, <laughs> but like, yeah, you talk about like the separation caused by pain and suffering and how that's the pain and suffering themselves are bad enough. But it's like when you when they cause people to feel isolated and like they can't reach out and like there's no. Um, I don't know, like relief possible. And that's mm-hmm. that can get get really get really hard all right onward magical friends just as one does not simply walk into mordor one does not simply read fantasy without talking about representations of race class gender and ability this is our segment about power and bodies and how they relate at the top i just want to say that like the representation i know isn't like the be-all end-all of everything and we're definitely like in the conversation about like what are its limitations etc etc yeah and both and 
this book is top notch like black af queer af disabled af just like all the things we love to see it just amazing amazing there's and the intersection of those things (laughs) yes totally all of those things at once um so we in the story we have bitter who was previously in foster care and i feel like we don't get a lot of books with um young people who have been in foster care been in that system um i'm not even sure we've read many books where um characters are adopted Mm -mm. so this was interesting to me you know i spend a lot of time on tiktok and i've seen some people who have been in foster care who have been adopted um who you know foster young people and so it was interesting to kind of uh I don't know what Akwake Mazzi's experience is, but it was just interesting to see a character who has been through something like that. Um, because from what I've learned, it's, it is not a fun journey to be on. <laughs> we also see that Bitter is forced to straighten and relax her hair. And this was just like knife to the heart <laughs> reading this part. Um, yeah. And then in the end, she like shaves it all off um, and, you know, kind of takes control of her hair and I think it can be difficult being a black person in general and a black woman in particular just you know the expectations around hair from society from our own culture you know from the outside from the inside um yeah so this part was like I enjoyed seeing bitter kind of like take back her her power um over her own body and getting to decide what she wanted to do with it a million a million bajillion percent and that reminds me of the that when you're, you know, describing her standing in her power and stuff, I'm thinking about the cover, um, mm-hmm. which is just so beautiful. And then I also loved, I didn't know if you noticed the scene where we get the cover described. Like, mm, yes, yes, yes. Where Blessing is doing the, um, Blessing and Bitter are doing like a, um, what's the word I'm looking for? Not headshot. Portrait. Oh, like portrait, portrait session. Yeah. And uh, yeah, I just, just gorgeous and amazing and yeah very fucking white supremacy and the beauty standards and shit like that is just bullshit and it's great to see especially like narrated out for young Mm -hmm. for young people for young black people you know this um this process of of taking taking back your agency and expressing it through your like you know how you're how you're like expressing yourself to the world yeah we also have Bitter and Aloe. They're both queer. I think we maybe knew that from Pet, but I couldn't remember. So I just wanted to bring it up here because um, it was cool to see them get to know each other and like fall in love because they're like really great parents in Pet. Um, mm. So I just thought this was really cute to like see them together and getting to know each other. <laughs> yes, it was beautiful. And there wasn't any of the like, you like multiple genders, so I can't trust you. Mm-hmm because of stereotype reasons yeah there was like none of that it was just like two amazing queer people finding each other and being amazing together yeah um we also have ube who uses a wheelchair and um vengeance one of the you know like angel slash monsters asked to heal him and ube says no and vengeance respects his decision um i think there's a lot that can be said about you know people's decisions about how they feel about their own disabilities um Mm -hmm. So it was cool to see this different, you know, like one side of that. Um, obviously, different people might feel differently about their disabilities, but um, I really, I I liked it. I was glad that they included that because we do often get those like magical healing stories and fantasy books. Totally. And then it makes you, 
yeah if, and if that's not questioned at all or like interrupted then it makes it seem like okay in our fantasy world in our futures like there are no disabled people which is just mm-hmm. eugenics everyone like let's be honest yeah so it's making me think about like um the future is disabled by leah lakshmi pieps nesamra sinha which i just listened to on audiobook and it was incredible and also the eli claire's um mm-hmm. grappling with cure um what's oh, okay. brilliant imperfection is the is the book title and the oh, yeah, grappling yeah. with cure is the like subtitle because you know mm-hmm. it has to have a colon in it and a subtitle <laughs> <laughs> Nonfiction, baby <laughs> right exactly but but yeah how we it's not as simple as a yes no of yeah take my disability away or don't you know yeah. because it's like you like you mentioned at the top and i'm glad you brought it attention to like it's all inter it's like all intersecting it's all woven together interwoven you know yeah and different people are going to feel differently about it too i think sometimes we don't talk about like how you know some communities feel differently and even within those communities you'll have people who feel differently about it and so you know just respecting people's decisions and how they feel about their own experiences is really important i think and the fact that those feelings can change from time to time because our yeah. body minds are always like, especially with like chronic or flaring conditions, you know, they're different mm-hmm. all the time. Right. So yeah. Ask us how we know. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> um, I kind of mentioned this before, but we have ASADA as like a non-hierarchical organization. They kind of do things by voting, you know, going into discussion, like really thinking about all the possibilities of what they want to achieve together as a group. And I think that's something that we don't, often see like we kind of see that ube is like semi in charge he's not in charge but he's like you know a leader within it but i think we often see like especially in these like social movement books we see like one person as leader one person as the hero of the story um so it was great to see you know an organization uh uh steeped in social justice that is like more democratic and um listening to everyone's opinions and um taking them all into consideration. Yeah. A million bajillion percent agree. And I think it was Eddie who was talking about the, like, if you don't have one head, you can't cut it off. Mm-hmm. Right. And about how, yeah, it, being a non-hierarchical organization, that's like a leader full movement. Yeah. Right. Doesn't. Yeah. That makes them stronger as a movement. Um, because yeah, the, you know, having singular leaders you know it falls into like cults of celebrity and corrupt like Mm -hmm. power corrupts and different things like that whereas like it's more balanced if you're working together and then also not replicating the stuff that we're trying to like get rid of at the end of the day you know yeah yeah that's such a good point too because i think we've seen it um like what you're mentioning about you know people becoming leaders and then like (laughs) doing the things that we don't want to do and we've seen that in movements even you know the black Lives matters movements where people you know using money in bad ways but but then it becomes like this talking point for people who are against that movement so i really enjoyed that like asada was kind of like you know everyone's a leader within this group and so like when one person does something wrong we can still like rally and make sure that it doesn't like affect the organization yeah and the fact that they have i'm what you were describing I don't know why HR came to mind. I think it's because it's like mm. the way of organizing relationships that's just like yeah. present in my life right now. But yeah, but what you're what you're describing is like Asada also has like a, an, an infrastructure for dealing with mm-hmm. with when there are conflicts and differences of opinion, and when people need to tap out or go somewhere or change their role. You know, yeah, um, yeah. 
something that I thought was really interesting about this book was like the angels, monsters, whatever we're going to call them, um, using murder as a form of justice. And I don't think we get a lot of books for young people that like kind of talk about this or deal with this, but it was really interesting because I think we often talk about like getting rid of these, you know, specific people or whatever. Um, but just kind of like, what does it mean to kill someone in the name of justice? Like, I don't know. It was just like, it really stuck out to me in the book. Yes. And I was just like, Oh, surprise. Like, like, and it was a big deal. Cause I feel like often at the end, like the bad guy dies, but we don't think of it as like, dang, those monsters were killing a ton of people. And then sometimes, you know, like the wrong people get caught in the, in the, in the crossfire kind of. Totally. So it was just like interesting in a way that I don't think we often think about justice and, you know, killing people. I don't know. It was, I don't know what to feel about it. I just like wanted to bring it up. <laughs> no, I'm, I'm so glad you did because it's definitely like the book is like a core meditation on this essentially like eat the rich rhetoric and mm-hmm. like gets into like, yeah, like I said at the top, like if, okay, if eat the rich, then like what happens right under these different conditions. And I love the, like the thought experiment that Amazie was doing with this book. And when they all, they also described essentially which it's funny because they describe this big thing as like a hydra essentially where you cut off one head and Mm -hmm. three um grow and that's what i jokingly call (laughs) not so jokingly call you know some of the like slew of just like regular white man names that come up when i talk to my partner about his organization and stuff like that and i'm like wait but are these the same person they practically sound like the same name like oh my god and no but it's true because like if what happens you know you cut one head off and then 70 more grow in its place right yeah you you can't we can't foresee the how it's actually going to go down and i really appreciate that the book is actually like attempting to envision like a rupture moment and its consequences Mm -hmm. yeah um in, in a way that young people can can digest and is approachable mm-hmm. for them because young people are thinking about this all the time. You know, it's like, yeah. you know, like it like how abstinence only education doesn't make sense. Like yeah. non-revolutionary, <laughs> non-radical education doesn't make sense. Right. Because the young, mm-hmm. especially with like social media and all this stuff, like this sort of like eat the rich um, anti-capitalist rhetoric is so much more normalized for young people now. Um, mm-hmm. Well, in cer- certain sections, I should say. Yeah, sure. But um but yeah, I just appreciate that like Amizzy was not shying away from like this violence, nonviolence conundrum that has actually been mm-hmm. uh, a core area of, I don't know, thought, but also disagreement yeah. and also action mm-hmm. in the black radical tradition itself. And then yeah. also like holding the nuance and the paradox of the necessity of the diversity of tactics, right? Because yeah. without the rupture moment and the violence, you know, because of those sacrifices, other things were possible, right? Yeah. Yeah. Um, I do have to point out that when I saw the notes you were Hydra, I was like, what 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 it was No, this, not Marvel. What is Kelly talking? <laughs> I was thinking Marvel and I was like, what does Hydra have to do with any of this? They're t- like <laughs> they're using the same example, I think, but I was just like, What is But like Hydra in Marvel is uh, yeah. really no different than the thing that Amazie's no. describing, right? No, not at all. But I was just like, What is what is Kelly talking what, about? What do they mean? Yeah. <laughs> what do they mean? <laughs> This is probably also a good space to talk about self-care. Mm. Um, I'm linking an article to my Google Drive 
you know, um, that I read for a class <laughs> um, by Shulk and Kim about what self-care is and what it isn't that I really enjoyed um, because they were kind of talking about social movements and the need for taking care of yourself. Um, mm-hmm. So I just wanted to link to it uh, because I think self-care has become like so commercialized about it's about face masks and bubble baths and like, you know, but it's actually really about like taking, and they are, they are using it like as a meditation on some of Audre Lorde's writing. Um, but it was just really good to think about like self-care is not bubble baths and, you know, face masks, like obviously do those things if that's part of your routine. And maybe that is part of your self-care, but it's really about taking care of yourself so that you have the time and energy to like push forward. Um, you know, revolution or social change, um, those sorts of things. Uh, so yeah, I just wanted to mention it because it comes up in the book kind of about like how better needs to take care of herself and like how important rest is. Um, so yeah, I just, just drop in, drop in the academic writing. <laughs> oh my, I love this. Thank you so much for linking this. Um, the, the article is called reclaiming the radical politics of self-care colon, a crip of color critique. <laughs> Um, and it's good, but it's, it's like, good. it's so true because it's, it's the, I'm, I'm glad they put crip of color because it's definitely like, mm-hmm. it's black queer, um, thinking and living that this whole idea of self-care comes out of. Right. And then it gets extracted yeah. and it gets devoid of context like Martin Luther King, for example. Yeah. And, yeah. Like, and it gets made white. <laughs> exactly. Yes. And then it gets turned into like, I don't know, the memification of mm-hmm. like self-care, which just makes it atomized an individual in reality. Yeah. It's not, it's about showing up for yourself so that you can like be in your lane in the movement. Yeah essentially, which we're going to talk about later. And I'm really glad we're going to talk about that. Yeah. And in that article, they talk about Audrey, they reference some of Audrey Lord's work, but also like how you take care of each other as a community. Um, So, and I think we see this a lot in better, just like everyone kind of rallying around each other to help take care of each other. And I really appreciated this in the book. Completely. Finally. Oh, (laughs) Oh, wait, I was just going to say that like, yeah, they're taking care of each other. No, they're taking care of each other. And that, Uh, yeah I'm really glad that you said that because like self-care can be reaching out Mm -hmm. you know and it can be like being vulnerable or and then also then reciprocating right have Mm -hmm. for for someone when they reach out to you finally it's time for shipwrecked a segment about asexuality sexuality sex romance and relationships and sometimes we take liberties and do some shipping of our own I really loved how we see Bitter's evolution as a character um, and her like availability for intimacy and vulnerability change over the course of the, or over the course of the novel. Cause like at the beginning we, we see her and she's kind of in this more like shut down fear at the forefront. Um, she's kind of operating more from that space. And then, but like when she meets Aloe, like things can kind of, like just like the presence of this person kind of changes something. And mm-hmm. I, I like how it, the, the book is kind of disentangling that whole, like you have to love, accept, be totally fine. Like yourself before you can love someone else sort of fantasy. Yeah. Right. It's Cause it's like, yeah. you no, know, we show up in the relationships as we are right now. And you can like with aloe bitter is able to like really heal and grow 
because yeah. of the presence of this other person and in connection with these other people. And I think we see other people from Eucalyptus doing that too. And Asada, we're seeing them in relationship, being able mm-hmm. to be more than they would have been as individuals. Yeah, it was a really great aspect of the book because I do think you're right. We're often like fed this story about healing first, blah, 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 you know, and for young people that can be discouraging probably because, you know, loving yourself is really hard. Uh, I am 33. I do not have it figured out, but that does not mean that you can't be in relationship with other people. It's just like a wild idea. So yeah, I'm so glad that you brought that up. Yeah, it's not as easy as just like, okay, self-love. I'm going to check that Mm -hmm. off of my checklist, my (laughs) self-care checklist, and then move Mm -hmm, on, mm -hmm. you know? (laughs) (laughs) Is work. (laughs) Another thing I liked in the novel is how there's like a little ghosting Mm storyline between Bitter and Eddie. And Bitter ghosted Eddie, essentially. And we see how like facing it is hard and apologizing can be hard. And same with figuring out accountability and also worth it. But also at the end, their um, their relationship is ending or Eddie decides to essentially end the relationship or the friendship or whatever. And I appreciated that that this was in there, too, because we don't see this very often, I think, in like friendship uh, stories, right? Because it's, mm-hmm. you know, sometimes it's not forever or it could be yeah. for a season, you know, and then there's yeah. a hibernation season and maybe there's another season later, but, um, I guess showing young people that it's like, okay to end relationships if they're not working for you. And like, they don't have yeah. to end in these like big bombastic dramatic ways, you know, it can just be like a conversation. Yeah. Especially friendships because I, you're, you're so right. We often just see like at the end, everyone comes together and everything's great. And they're going to be best friends for the rest of their lives, even though right now they're like 12 years old. And I'm just like, <laughs> that's not how this works. <laughs> no, no. And showing, you know, people asking for space, but Allo doing that also and being like, hey, I need to go away for a few mm-hmm. minutes and then bitter projecting that he's going to leave her. But I, yeah, it was just like there was so much goodness around the relationships and just honesty about how about feelings and about how it's messy, you know? Yeah, we love to see it. Now we're going to talk about writing style, narration, characterization, plot structure, and basically whatever else comes to mind in a segment called Kill Your Darlings. This sometimes is like my favorite section because I just get to like go off about writing stuff. (laughs) Um, So there were a couple of things that were really interesting to me about the way this story was written. When we read Pet, we kind of talked about how it was a great book and how it might lean more toward middle grade audiences than YA. And I think to that end, it's like a very hopeful book. We see like everything gets worked out in the end and like the kind of a perfect, almost perfect world. But Bitter, I would say, is a book for like a more mature audience. And I really like the idea that young people might read Pet in middle school, get older, read Bitter, which gives them a look into why Bitter might parent the way she does. Um, And that reading the books together really humanizes the parents from Pet in a way we don't really get to see in most books for young people. I feel like oftentimes parents are very one dimensional, like you know, they're fucking things up for their kids or like they're the best parent ever. And it's just like one thing. So I really enjoyed getting to know better in this story. Um, and then thinking about it in relation to pet. I love everything you just said, especially like the, (laughs) the like imagining young people reading pet first and then reading better later and then being able to make these connections right for themselves. Mm -hmm. And yeah, I'm, it also humanizes our villain from pet yeah um yeah so that's i don't yeah i mean i I guess he's 
positioned as as the villain i guess at the end of the narration but i don't know in an abolition framework i guess we're supposed to be like beyond maybe that sort of black and white mm-hmm. but um but yeah i yeah just humanizes the parents completely agree the other thing that was really interesting to me about this aspect of it was this aspect of Vitter's past that is referenced but never named. As a reader, we know that something bad happened in the past, but it's never specified. Similar to Pet, where and Pet, I think as an adult reading it, you know what happened to Redemption's brother, but it kind of has this feeling that a young person can graft their own trauma and pain onto the story in a way that allows them to deal with things that may have happened to them, where they can see themselves in the character and think about how their pain and trauma affects them and how it might affect their behavior and relationships. Um, I've never read anything else um, by Emezi but this series, but I think this is like a wonderful gift that they've given to young people to allow them to like process their pain through these characters that we often maybe don't see because like the pain is often so specific in books. So I really appreciated this aspect of the story and it was, it was just, it it felt really fresh and new and different to me. Um, And so I hope that young people reading it kind of get to feel their feelings and, you know, kind of relate to the character uh, in ways that they might not be able to, or it's more difficult for them when, everything is like overly specified. I didn't think about this until you, you know, but listening to you talk about this, I'm just like, it's opening up so many things for me because you're totally right about like the lack of specificity is yeah, really a gift for, for people who are reading. And also it it's a gift also to not like have to, I mean, I guess just on like a meta level as a storyteller, permissioning to just like you don't have like the trauma doesn't have to be the be all end all of this person's character development right you Mm -hmm, don't have to spend mm -hmm. the entire like two-thirds of the novel getting into like what made them the way they why they have panic panic attacks when they go outside yeah or why it's hard for them to trust people um but yeah i calling it the lost years and just not judging the body for or the body mind for its really innate wisdom in being able to escape and dissociate and repress and not remember like forgetting as really Mm -hmm. a gift um yeah and yeah I I just appreciated how this was like brought up at multiple time points because it's like we see this as it follows bitter around right she's carrying this with with her as she moves through the world and we're seeing her like negotiate being like, all right, just going to share this little thing, but make sure that the lost years stay locked in this cabinet because that's where they need to be in order for me to process. Mm-hmm. And just like the, yeah, I guess permissioning around like you need to do what you need to do to survive. And at the same time, can you look for moments of gentleness for yourself and also open up to maybe like loosen maybe that, that mm-hmm. tight, that tight knot that's keeping you from relating in the ways that you really want to. Yeah, Totally. My only note here is no palm cutting. Thank you very much. <laughs> that was a specific scene when Bitter was animating Vengeance. Well, before she knew what she was doing. But she was like, cutting your palm seems like a really bad fucking idea. Because it, A, would it would take forever to heal and it would hurt really bad. Um, and then it would make it hard to do stuff that you need to do. And I was like, thank you so much. And also, uh, yeah, just we didn't talk about blood magic, I guess. That's another thing. Oh, yeah. It um, is kind of blood magic. I thought of you when that scene happened, though. Really? Because you're like, Kelly <laughs> mm-hmm. would appreciate this. Yeah. And we'll probably they bring it up. And here we are. hate palm cutting. <laughs> <laughs> it's just, it's not a practical choice. It isn't. 
Okay, are you ready for real talk? Mm-hmm. Ready. Okay. You you brought some things to the table. I know. Wild. What a what a surprise. No, not really. <laughs> you come through. Sometimes. Um, I was thinking about bitter and like this dark cloud that follows you or can follow you when you think about social movements in particular, especially those for like racial equity like black lives matter when you think about how these fights have gone on for so long and made changes um maybe to the infrastructure but there's so much pushback like it's always two steps forward three steps back and it can make you start to wonder if the struggle is worth it especially i think in our time of like 24-hour news cycle and videos of black and brown bodies being murdered by the state um social media Um, Which I think brings us to another point that comes up in this book, which is that everyone can find a place in the revolution. Not everyone has to be on the front line. Um, I think there aren't, um, um, I think that with the like 24 hour news cycle and social media, it can make it feel like because if you're not on the front lines, if you're not getting your picture taken and putting it up on social media, then you're not like doing the work. Um, and it can make people feel frozen as if they don't have a part to play or like what they're doing doesn't matter. But I think there's lots of different ways people can help create change. And I just like appreciate that this book talked about that topic and, you know, cause better really sees just like one way of being part of the change. And I think Asada helps her to realize, you know, there are options. You don't, if you don't feel comfortable in crowds, you don't have to be out protesting. Like that doesn't have to be the way that you contribute um so i just appreciated this aspect of the story especially for young people who i think can sometimes feel pressured into doing things adults too but young people more specifically because i think they're around so many more people more often um so i think that sometimes you can feel pressure to have to be this like outgoing on the front lines kind of person and that's just not for everyone it's it's really not and it's not feasible for everyone right it's also Mm -hmm. like an ableist way of thinking Mm -hmm. about organizing and the revolution and stuff like that and yeah, I, I couldn't agree more that it's just like so necessary to bring this to a younger audience who's probably still who's like figuring out their voice. And I don't know, I'm like mm-hmm. fucking 31 and still figuring that shit out. So I like know. whatever. <laughs> but um, but yeah, that like. It, oh, another thing I was going to say is that we also see a showing that like your capacity changes and your role changes yeah. depending on context and where you are in your mm-hmm. circumstances. And maybe something happens to you and um, your, your role has to change permanently. And yeah, there might be grief over that, but it's not like there isn't something to be done in all these various kaleidoscopic ways that, that work together, you know? Yeah, definitely. My real talk is more like a real confession. <laughs> <laughs> it also sounds about white, to be honest. Mm-hmm, um, it does. I've, I've never had sweet potato pie. Just <laughs> just to put it out there. <laughs> you should have it, but I have a feeling it's going to be hard to find in Colorado <laughs> because there are not that many black people there. <laughs> oh, my God. Uh, I'm, I, will, I will try. I will try to find a sweet potato pie next fall sometime. It is superior to pumpkin pie. Um, I'm, I didn't even know that pumpkin pie was a thing until I was an adult. Really? Um, <laughs> I had no idea. We only have we only have sweet potato pie. Mm, so enough. you should. Does anything go try on it. the top of sweet potato pie? I think sometimes people put like whipped cream on there. Is it like kind of marshmallow like on top? Why am I thinking that there's probably like sometimes on top? My grandma didn't put anything on it. Um, Just sweet so. potato. But does it look like mm-hmm. a pumpkin pie? It does. Okay. (laughs) 
See, I like literally know nothing. I don't think I've even Googled a sweet potato pie. You should just make one. I probably should. Just make one and see how it goes. But then I will have nothing. It'll be like in a vacuum. I know. It's like. (laughs) Oh, no, you fell. (laughs) I I dropped Jesse. Yeah. So eat a sweet potato pie if you haven't, everyone. That's your homework, everyone. We don't give homework, homework, but here it is. (laughs) But here it is. Are we ready for cards? Ready for cards? We're ready. We're ready. I got them out. I'm so impressed Kelly didn't have to go get them. <laughs> oh my God. This one was the first one. I'm like, because we've been talking so much about like nerdy academic titles, I have to ask this one. What would okay. a good subtitle be for this book? <laughs> oh my God. Such a good. Bitter. Colon. Um, well, this is a hard question. I know I asked it and I'm like regretting it almost. Um, now I, I feel like I have to come up with something I feel like transcendental. You do that often. <laughs> um, maybe maybe something about like Crip of Color, Revolution, or something like that. Yeah, a, a guide to your inner healing. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> Can have double colons. <laughs> um. All right. One more. Okay. No, that's not a good one. It asked, is this book funny? And I'm like, mm, not really. Mm, I'm sure there were funny parts. Okay, this is totally different and has nothing to do with the book, but it's a question about reading. Okay, I was just like, Kelly's like, just shaking their head. I'm like, what's going on? Over uh, one was like, why did you choose to read the book? One was like, which oh, person in power that. should read the book? I'm like, literally all of them. Okay. Yeah. Um, but also none of them, because I feel like they would take it and make it into like propaganda or something. Oh my God, so true. This is why we can't have nice things. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, and by people in power, I mean all of the young people who are powerful in and of themselves need to read it. Yes. Boom. Yeah, snaps all around. <laughs> and then to wind it up, wind it down. Where's your favorite place to read a good book? Oh, I love this. This is different, right? Yeah. Um, I listen to my audiobooks on the couch while knitting usually. Um, and then I also like to read in bed. I read every night at least one chapter before I go to sleep of something i would say that i finished while doing art last night and i was like oh it's oh, a nice. pretty good way to do it you know audiobook while arting um it felt very on brand for the book mm-hmm. it does so i love that and then if i'm just if i'm reading reading like a and not able to do mm-hmm. anything else with my hands yay add um I would say with a cup of tea, I like to read outside Mm. when the weather's nice, but not when it's too hot. (laughs) And I definitely have to be covered from the sun because I am a vampire due to my medications. Wear all the sunscreen. Exactly. Protective clothing. But yeah, that's what I would say. I love that question. That's a good one. Thanks for listening to The Library Coven. We'll be back in two weeks for a discussion of The Witch King by H.E. Edgman. I hope I can pronounce that I right. Think I listened to the right. audiobook and I feel like I should have paid more attention. <laughs> um, as always, we'd love to be in conversation with you magical folks. Let us know what you think of the episode, anything we missed, 
or to say hi by dropping a line in the comments or by reaching out to us on Twitter, meh, or Instagram, yay, at the library cover. <laughs> Twitter, RIP, Instagram, also <laughs> meh. Yeah. Um, you can subscribe, obviously, on the podcast app of your choice, and then you'll never miss an episode of the Library Coven. And we'd also really appreciate it if you rate and review the show because that's a good way to spread the word. And also you could just recommend it to someone who you think would like it because word of mouth is the best marketing. In case you didn't know or come here for a marketing lesson. But there you go. You got one. <laughs> and then if you're able to support our labor financially, that would be amazing. You could make a one-time donation to us on coffee. Get Jesse a coffee. So <laughs> she has to go teach all the young people how to like do information stuff. Okay. Fun times. And then also you can support us monthly on Patreon or by shopping at our bookshop.org affiliate page. Until next time, stay magical. Bye.